Today's episode is sponsored by Sunny Bear Homestead. A new year means a new commitment to a focus on health, wellness, and self-care. And no one does self-care better than Sunny Bear Homestead, a queer-owned business nestled near the foot of the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia. Sunny Bear offers carefully crafted tea blends made from award-winning recipes, sensuous soaps, scrubs, and they work with local artists to bring you local honey, maple syrup, and decadent smoked coffee that will take your brunch game to the next level. Now, I don't advertise for anything that I don't personally love, and I have to tell you that their oatmeal, milk, and honey signature soaps and scents are my absolute favorite. They're crisp and clean and simple, and their massive menu of teas are perfect for every occasion year-round. Now, Sunny Bear Homestead ships all over the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, and it's more important now than ever to support small local business. You can find their wide assortment of incredible offerings at Homemade Sunny Bear. Now, that's S-U-N-N-Y-B-E-A-R.com. So, HomemadeSunnyBear.com. And just for our Dreamer Productions listeners, you can use code DREAMER, that's D-R-E-A-M-E-R, all uppercase letters, at checkout for 15% off your order. Again, use code DREAMER at checkout for 15% off your order. Thanks again to Sunny Bear Homestead for sponsoring this episode. Now on with the show. Welcome, serial killers, to our year of case files. It's just you, me, and the music. (laughs) I wanted to start off the third year of Saturday Morning Confidential with the greatest movie ever made. That is right. The greatest movie ever made. No, this isn't up for debate. And no, I will not be taking any further questions. We often talk about movies being too smart and too ahead of their time. But looking at this movie 30 years later, it truly was too smart and too ahead of its time. And some of us were lucky enough to see it. But thankfully, as a cult classics often do, the rest of the world got to see it too. DuJour means friendship, and most importantly, DuJour means crash positions. And DuJour means sit back for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. Now, based on the Archie comic characters and the Hanna-Barbera cartoon, the lore of Josie and the Pussycats weaves the story of three music-loving ladies from Riverdale. Yes, that Riverdale. As they rock their way to stardom with their manager, the bumbling Alexander Cabot, and his freeloading sister, Alexandra, getting into typical Hanna-Barbera hijinks. The film took inspiration from both the comics and the cartoons while bringing them into the sparkling digital age of 2001, as well as inspiration from 1997's Spice World about the girl power group, the Spice Girls. The movie was written and directed and had original music by Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont of Can't Hardly Wait fame. And the soundtrack was produced by the legendary Babyface with lead vocals from letters to Cleo and Sixpence on the Richards, Kay Hanley. The plot follows the edgy, quirky girls, Josie, Val, and Melody, who are working multiple jobs and being best friends who dream of being rock stars, but can't seem to book more than 30-minute slots at their local bowling alley. Meanwhile, music company Mega Records is secretly working with the American government and huge corporations to brainwash the world using subliminal messages under the music. And their current multi-platinum boy band du jour starts to notice that something was off, Their plane mysteriously crashes, and the devious record producer Wyatt, working for Mega Records leader Fiona, must find a new superstar band. On a happenstance, Wyatt almost runs over the Pussycats, and just like that, they're rocketed to fame. But the girls must solve the mystery. But will their friendship last through it? You'll have to watch to find out. 
Now, Archie Comics was apprehensive through every step of the process because the more mature tone of the movie was deviating from what they thought the comic should have. But it was getting major buzz from within Universal who was distributing the movie. And they were pulling some A-list names to audition for the roles. Now, Rachel Lee Cook, who was an icon of the time, was a favorite from Kaplan and Alphant after her audition for Can't Hardly Wait. And she was astonished that she was chosen to lead the movie. Now, musical icons like Beyonce, Lisa Left Eye, Lopez, and Ashanti all auditioned and were asked several times to really push themselves for Val. But... The creatives insisted that the performer must understand comedy, so the role eventually went to Rosario Dawson, and the blonde film sweetheart Tara Reid rounded out the iconical musical trio as Melody. They pulled so much influence from the source material, so Paolo Costanzo and Missy Pyle were cast as the scene-stealing Alexander and Alexandra Cabot, and character actors extraordinaire Alan Cummings and Parker Posey were the film's villains as Wyatt and Fiona along with performances from Seth Green, Donald Faison, and Brecken Myers as part of the boy band du jour, and incredible other cameos from the time. Uh, a fun tidbit about the film is that the product placement was absolutely key, and the audiences remember the, the Target-themed plane, Revlon-themed hotel rooms, McDonald's-themed bathrooms, and logos and icons of worldwide fame were seen in literally every shot and every scene. These were all placed in the movie at zero cost to the corporations themselves, which was actually really smart because no marketing is bad marketing. And going through a corporate structure to like approve the amount of like control they would need in the movie really let the film's art department kind of do what they wanted to do. Now, this is a period piece that is such a slice of its time, but like many films of its time the critics absolutely hated it most were going in with uh, an opinion based on the Hanna-Barbera uh, cartoon from the 70s and so the critics felt um, it just didn't work on screen and this was kind of a key of the time from the 80s and 90s we've talked about it a lot on the show so on Rotten Tomatoes the film has an approval rating of 53% based on reviews from 140 23 critics. The site's consensus states that live action updates to Josie and the Pussycats offers up bubbly, fluffy fun, but the constant appearance of product placement seems rather hypocritical. Which, like, did they watch the film? Like, that's the whole point. And on Metacritic, the film scores a 47 out of 100 based on 29 critics, indicating mixed or average reviews. Now, the audience survey on CinemaScore gave it a B of an A to F rating. So, like, obviously the audience loved it. Now, Roger Ebert, who I have declared a deep enemy of the pod, I will speak ill of the dead. I think he's dead. I don't know. Somebody will correct me. Gave the film one and a half stars out of four, commenting that Josie and the Pussycats are not dumber than the Spice Girls, but they're as dumb as the Spice Girls, which is just dumb enough. In an obvious comparison of the British girl group from the 1997 uh, movie Spice World, obviously. We talked about it earlier which was met with even more negative reviews uh, and a worse score that Ebert has ever given. Uh, the film grossed about $14 million uh, at the U.S. box office. The production budget was somewhere between 22 and $39 million, so this was clearly a bomb. Now, Josie and the Pussycats was released on VHS and DVD by Universal Home Video on August 21st, 2001. That's my birthday. Well, my birthday weekend. So, like... The original film rating was PG-13. 
Um, and it caused a lot, a lot of conflict within Archie Comics. So a family-friendly PG version was also released alongside with the theatrical version you could grab either. This permitted or uh, omitted a lot of the profanity and sexual references. Um, and it was released internationally by MGM through 20th Century Home Entertainment uh, in December of that year. I wonder who owns that distribution worldwide now. Because it was, if you all know, famously, it was never been available until recently on music streaming sites. And it wasn't available until 2021 on a DVD copy that didn't cost you a million dollars from that initial release. Um and so, like, it's never been available on streaming until, like, the last three or four years. And even then, it'll only be streaming for, like, two or three months at a time. At the time of recording, I believe in the U.S. it is available on HBO Max. Um, I know it is available for rent on Amazon as well within the U.S., maybe Canada. But you all will have to check. So, to coincide with the 20th anniversary of the film, a Blu-ray version was released from Mill Creek Entertainment. Uh, with most of the extras from the DVD releases carrying over. And... And the album, the music album that was released in 2001 was certified gold and it was released about 500,000 copies. And in 2017, the new media mogul Mondo released the albums on vinyl and it was Purple Leopard. You know I have it. And also came with the 45 record featuring the two songs from the DuJour uh, band on the soundtrack. Now, thanks to VHS and DVDs being passed around within slumber parties, college dorms, and late nights at Blockbuster Video, along with the family-friendly version being played every weekend for five or six years on multiple, multiple networks, this film has earned the coveted title of cult classic. Now, I dare you to enter any group of hip elder millennials and ask, what does DuJour mean? And I guarantee you'll probably love the answers. Now, an animated series was originally planned to follow up the film, but when the film bombed, the series went bye-bye. Now, we saw the Pussycats receive uh, a revival on Riverdale and then went over to Katie Keene, and most people were very excited to see an all actresses of color playing all of the pussycats and that was going to be really great but as many critics brought up they were pretty much just used as foils and tools for white characters which is not great but they were also really successfully revived recently in a new archie comic that came out uh by the same title that i encourage everyone to go pick up i think it's like 9.99 for the first five issues from archie so go ahead and find it now let's go behind the music to find out what makes this movie so iconic and we'll be right back after these messages. Can you believe we've been friends for seven years? And it all started because I compared you to Alana the Lioness. Tamara Pierce really set the tone of our friendship. A love of magic. Briar Moss. Fantasy. Briar Moss. Powerful women. And of course, Briar Moss. I'm Anna. And I'm MJ. And we invite you to join our Circle of Friendship, where we do a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Circle of Magic series by Tamara Pierce. We answer important questions like, how does Moonstream let certain dedicates take care of children? Can you imagine anyone else but Mandy Patinkin playing Nico? Knives, Briar. And Knives! Join us every other Monday at cofpodcast.libsyn.com or wherever you download podcasts. But seriously, Knives... Okay, are you more of a punk rock prom queen or a brown paper magazine? 
So I have to start off with a story. So I saw this trailer on TV and was enamored. The colors, the sparkle, the music, it looked incredible. And I convinced my girlfriend at the time, yes, girlfriend, it was that time, um, that I was going to go take her on a movie to see this. So we went to the mall and we went to FYE Music ahead of time. And I bought the Christina Aguilera Mi Reflejo album because I was really into Spanish pop music because of my uh, Spanish teacher in high school. And we went and saw this. And in my mind, this did the same things that like the serotonin and dopamine did when I was a little kid watching My Little Pony or when I was eight and watched Power Rangers. This movie had everything. It was girl power. It was flashy colors and incredible fashion that I could not wear. It had really catchy pop music. And again, for anyone who knew me during this time or you've heard me talk over and over again, I come from a very evangelical background. So like we didn't listen to a ton of pop music and stuff. So this was like everything. And my dad and my mom were like, oh, Joe's the Pussycats. We loved that cartoon. We, I mean, I grew up with all things Hanna-Barbera, all things Chuck Jones. So like, this was great. And seeing this kind of new wave Josie was everything. And it stuck with me. I immediately went out and bought the CD. I, and as soon as I could, I bought the VHS, which I still have somewhere. And it is the original VHS release. So the dirty version of it. Um, and so this movie has just stuck with me over the years. And some of the people who I consider my closest friends, we all bonded about our love of this movie that other people just, it didn't seem to click with them. But I feel like the older I get, the more people I'm getting that like draw in and remember this. And just every once in a while, I text my friend Molly, who was on the show for the uh, Teen Witch episode. And I just go, du jour means friendship. Du jour means crash positions. Because du jour can mean whatever it means. Because du jour means everything so let's jump in so clearly this movie is special to me and i think everything that i'm covering this year in case files episodes are going to be special for me in some way some way shape or another so like this movie heavily queer like codes my queerness um because it's strange for movies that like are inherently aren't queer even though there's lots of like queerness to it it codes my queerness it the, this era was a time where like product was everything electronics were becoming huge it was accessible it was about who you're wearing what you were wearing and uh you know what's really funny is this is a good time to do this movie because this is where fashion is cyclical back to like it is back there like the um i love the girls they're in every scene they're like oh my god pink is the new orange oh my god and it's always these like clunky steve madden loafers but like can i tell you i literally just bought a pair of chunky men's pink steve madden loafers which are i almost identical to something that is in this movie um so i think i'm gonna have to start off with just that like it is a product of its time so some of the things in this haven't aged well there's some terminology there's an airy spear well no the airy spears is an absolute piece of trash uh based on some recent interviews he does i mean this he's famous as a character actor on my tv and he does a very cringy bill cosby which you know just isn't good tasting more there are you know there's just some like wordage that we wouldn't use anymore that's in this movie but again it is it's a piece of its time and it's actually a great study of kind of fashion of the time style the ridiculous eyebrows we were drawing on women, the like, I mean, Rach, everyone had that Josie haircut. Like, 
like like Josie ran walked so that Kim Rhodes as the mom and uh, Zach and Cody could run with that hairstyle. Like you were the hip girl if you had that color red, that like swooped out Josie look. Like it is. It was just such a great study of the time. Like, and for me, it's actually a great like dramaturgical use now because, of course, it's elevated. But this kind of glitz and glamour inversion of like what 2000, 2001 was. But like we were wearing, you know, shiny metallic button downs like that's just what everybody was wearing at this time. So it's just so interesting to see the like cut of the flare jeans. Now, the only thing I hate that is in this is the excessive low rise pants and they're just... They're there for everybody, but really the production designers understood, like, I think this is a key example of the original understanding the assignment. I'm going to, I, you know, I always use this phrase a lot, but this team got this. I also argue that this is why I love design and working as a designer now and thinking about world building because every decision was made along the way to build the world that we were living in, which was a heightened version of our own. I mean, even when they're at the aquarium, the aquarium has a tank sponsored by Evian. Like it's so ridiculous, but every step of the way, so from the clothing to the makeup and the hair, just everything was iconic. Like uh, the the inspiration for Fiona being, you know, eight years before we got Gaga, but like it is so pre Gaga. It is it is all the inspirations of Bjork and and late nineties Winona Ryder. Like it's just it's everything. And they really thought about how would these corporations that were doing these like hotel suites and these these planes and this was really happening at the time like I, I don't know if anybody remembers back but this is like when you still had like road tours going around for your favorite movies or video games or new products these press tours they would be in the malls like this is this is when we all went to the mall because that's what we did this is just like just pre-internet era where it's like accessible to everybody but like looking at the phones and everything like this is just so a product of the time. Um, also, it is just such a good zeitgeist of music at the time, especially popular music, which is kind of bleed into like the second reason why I think everybody really needs to revisit this is the music in this movie is iconic. Now, while I will say this movie isn't a musical, it is a movie about music and it is a music movie. Almost all the music, all the music in it was written for the movie or arrangements were done for the movie. There are some great, uh, like, uh, there's some great, um, like Wild Child and Money and, um, there, which we've already talked about, have been in some of our other favorite films like Empire Records, but they were re-recorded by Kay Henley, who is kind of, who is essentially the voice of Josie, but Rachel Lee Cook, uh, Tara Reid and, uh, Rosario Dawson were all backup vocals for it too. And so like they learned to play their instruments as well as they could for this. And so it is the music. It's such a bop because it also combines the like pop sensibilities, but went towards like where we would eventually get with Paramore just, you know, six or seven years later, it is these like heavy rockets, a little cranberries. It's, it is very letters to Cleo. It's very sixpence than the richer. It's, it's this great combination of, girl power but with like great rock music like i still listen to this soundtrack regularly the songs on it are so good and the two or three du jour songs that are on it which is just pop like just sugar pop goo are so great now none of the guys that are in it actually sing on it because like you know it is what it is but like 
the music really captures the moment of the time. It's uplifting. It's it's a heartbeat. Like it gets you going. Like when I hear the lead in to three small words, like let me tell you, it gets my juices going. Like it will like if I'm flatlining, play that for me in the hospital and my queer ass will shoot up at a at bed so quick. Like it's just going to be a thing. Like it, it it's just truly iconic. And also, the music has not aged poorly. Like, music, again, is also cyclical, like, fashion and style. And so where we are, again, it's never gone out of style. Like, what's so funny about this movie being a period piece is, like, it was a period piece when it came out. It's like so many things. Like, Rent was a period piece when it came out. There are so many things that are such a product of its time. And, like... It truly just got it. And they really had tapped into what, like for all a sense of purposes, this was everything that was going to be perfect. Like if this movie came out today, it would be box office gold. So I know in the pre-show I talked about what happens when a movie is too smart and too ahead of its time. But this movie was so smart. It was making fun of the genre that it was. Like, this this is being recorded in the weeks after Bros came out. And, you know, there's still a lot to say about Bros in a negative way. But as they were writing that movie, they get the genre. They understood the assignment of kind of how they were making fun of rom-coms and how we still want a gay rom-com. But we wanted it with, you know, for Hollywood, it still needed to be within the parameters of, like, a heteronormative love story. Where Josie was making fun of like VH1 culture, MTV culture. It was making fun of Spice World. It was making fun of music. It was also making fun of corporations. And that was where a lot of the critics were like, oh, it's being hypocritical. And I was like, no, they literally are making fun of the people who they're also giving free marketing to because that was the only way to do it. Like you guarantee, there's no way Pepsi would have let them do this movie if they'd sat down and read this script. Also then they would have had Pepsi battling with Sony, battling with Target. Like it was just so smart of them to do free. But again, this movie is so informed and it is so intelligent. And normally I go, ooh, uh, the same directors wrote it and did the music and did this and did that. And I think for this situation, it was a closed team. So they really were able to not have a muddied up like story and plot along the way. Like the plot is there. Like it's really simple. They threw in a romance with Alan M with, with Josie, which is so sweet though. I do think it's funny that in any world, Josie would be the homely, ugly girl, which is just like, uh, okay, whatever. Rachel Lee Cook was literally a face of her generation. Uh, just a side note, does anybody remember her anti-drug ads that she was in? This is your <laughs> this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs, and it's a cast iron skillet with a fucking egg. Talk about like this time. I mean, let's anthropologically, this time is bonkers. Like 1998 to 2004 or five is the weirdest time. And ultimately, in my opinion, it's where our timeline probably got altered at the first time. Like, I feel like there were so many things that happened along those times. Or I don't know if any of you all remember how many times the world was supposed to end, how many times there was going to be a catastrophic comet or something. You know, understanding time is not linear and it's whatever. I just feel like there were so many points in there that that is where our timeline altered itself. And I think 
this is still when Hollywood was doing the silliest, weirdest things, but we're still taking itself so seriously. And music was taking itself so seriously. Meanwhile, understanding exactly. And I think they just didn't like that, like, this movie was making fun of the industry and kind of telling their secrets. Also, because subliminal messaging has been kind of a hot button issue for years and was a legitimate marketing technique for a very long time. So like nothing in this movie is actually outside of the realm of possibility. And I think there were just too many people who took this movie too seriously and too personally. And it panned because like this movie is fucking genius. Like, and it's not just through nostalgia goggles. Like, I have recently showed this to people who are film people, they're film historians, and they'd never seen this movie before. They had, of course, read about it academically, which I think is so funny. And they were just like, wow, what a great representation of, representation of the time, representation of storytelling. Like, the script in this is so good and so solid. And, you know, it plays on tropes because everything has to play on tropes because you can't tell me you can sit here and write something that is trope free because that's just kind of the eccentricity and kind of the existence of where we are with how writing and cre uh, creation of entertainment is. And so, yeah, but like every step of the process, it's also making fun of all of those tropes. It's flipping them on their head. And so I just, it had to come out at the time that it came out because it was the perfect time for it. And honestly, it's just really a shame that it did not be received well than it did so and a lot of that is too is this cast like Tara Reid and Rachel Lee Cook were kind of everywhere they were everywhere at the time Rosario Dawson was a just breaking into the industry at this time and so for them to be our leads like two of the three of them were super recognizable faces they were sweet they were kind of what everyone wanted to be and yet while there could be some more diversity throughout this movie you know they kept Valerie as a person of color, which is super important because she always was. We did have Donald Faison's character as the like one token member of, of du jour, but like otherwise across the board, it is a very white movie. Um, but again, product of its time, we kind of just have to look at it here better, which is why everybody was so excited about Riverdale. And then they fucked that up. So this cast is just great. The girls understood comedy. They were in 150% into learning how to play to doing the music the best that they absolutely could. They performed the music live with Kay Hanley for uh, a, uh, a anniversary viewing that happened in Hollywood just a few years ago, which just shows how special and important this movie is because those actresses could literally have just let it go. But like to know that this movie is still so important to them is so good. But it's not even just them. It is their supporting cast. Uh, and I always have to bring up, it's Paula Costanzo, and Missy Pyle is Alexander and Alexandra. And it's a little point where Missy Pyle understood it. And she was a little bit older than the rest of the girls in, in this movie. But what's really funny is like she's for some like when they get flown to to um, New York, quote unquote, even though the whole movie was shot in Vancouver on the private plane. Um, I think it's Nuxima. It's a Nuxima plane, which is definitely a moment of its time. Uh, and, and Alexandra's just there and is like flirting with Alan and says something. And then Josie goes, I don't even know why you're here. And Missy Pyle just goes, it's cause I was in the comic book without even looking up. And when I tell you that I thought that was so funny at the time, but now as an adult who's gone back and read a lot of the Josie canon, 
it's those lovely self-aware moments that were so good and I think so funny. And someone who is masterful like Missy Pyle, who I believe in the same year or right around this time had just done Galaxy Quest. Like she is an incomparable incomparable character actress she's so funny everybody in this movie understood comedy which really to me the two standouts in this movie are alan cumming which he had done the cabaret revival at this point he was a theater actor he had done spice world so i think it was very funny that he was in this too um and and you had parker posey who had been in all the chris guest films up to this point is a comedic legends i believe she's from second city in chicago who just understands humor and she understood this character and now while i will say the fiona character is flawed in kind of how she attacks the other women always talking about their weight all these things she is so traumatized and triggered uh, oh my god traumatized and triggered by like how terribly she was treated as a kid that like all she wants is like these girlfriends to like be close with her so it makes a ton of sense that she would internalize all of that like she never got to have a sleepover with the girls like all these things that like it seems so silly and now it's very like maybe anti-feminist and counterproductive but i think at the time especially for a lot of us who came up during that time you know, a lot of us cling. I mean, I have this show, which is literally all about nostalgia. If you know me, I'm a toy collector. I love buying things. Um, I love those things that remind me of this time before I kind of got wise to the world. And so I sympathize a lot with Fiona. Again, I don't love that, like, she called the other girls fat and those kinds of things just as a fat person, but yeah, whatever. Um, but Parker Posey understood what she was trying to accomplish with Fiona. She wore those costumes beautifully. She did the musical number. She is someone who never says no, but says, how much do you want? And then gives you 100% more than exactly what you're asking for. Like, she's just so brilliant and just gets it. And those four alone are reasons to watch this movie. And then when you add the three girls on top of it, you also have great cameos from like, Carson Daly, who is dating Tara Reid at the time. You had all of the great, like, uh, Entertainment Tonight, MTV News Daily, all of these people who were just a zeitgeist moment of the time. Also, let's pour one out for our uh, fallen homie, uh, um, Virgin Megastore. Like, I didn't know the Virgin Megastore till almost before it was gone. But when I moved to New York City, a lot of you all have to remember with me that Virgin Megastore in Times Square or the Virgin Megastore at Disney, uh, downtown Disney, like these things were iconic. They were multi-leveled. You could go and just listen to music and buy merch from all of your favorite bands and things. And it was just this really awesome immersive thing. And so all these things together, like, and I'm not even really scratching the surface, but anytime I have a chance to rewatch this movie, it just, from the lowest part of me, makes me just feel so good and warm and free. Now, unfortunately, the version that you do watch on TV or is available for streaming is the, you know, cleaned up version, which is funny because then you can just tell the mouth flaps don't work. Um, and there was more language in it, but it's just, it's so good. So I encourage you all, let's turn off this podcast right now. And join us next time for another deep dive in the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. Go watch Joseph and the Pussycats. Go stream it. Go buy the Mondo record if you still can. And go stream the entire soundtrack. Let me guess. 
You're bummed because your acceptance letter from a certain school of witchcraft and wizardry was never delivered by Owl. Or you're sitting there wishing you could find more stories about wizarding schools that are a little more inclusive and open. I was just like you. Well, that was until I discovered Saved by the Spell. From Dreamer Productions, the company behind podcasts like Saturday Morning Confidential and Exit Stage Death comes Saved by the Spell. Your spellbinding gateway taking you chapter by chapter through magical academies from across this literary reality and the next. Class starts in November where you will go inside Breakbills University for magical pedagogy from Lev Grossman's The Magicians. Saved by the Spell can be found exclusively on Dreamer Productions' Patreon feed by following the link in the show notes below. So get ready, students, to be saved by the spell. Saturday Morning Confidential is brought to you by Dreamer Productions and is a proud member of the Certain POV Podcast Network. You can find us on Facebook at Saturday Morning Confidential, on Instagram at SMC Pod, and on Twitter at The SMC Podcast. You can find all the shows that Certain POV has to offer at CertainPOV.com or also on Patreon at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of only $2 a month keeps constant programming coming in and supporting our new shows as we go throughout 2022. Now join us again next time for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.